A big part of my personal joyful enough is being able to recognize when something isn't working for me and detaching that from my own value. I'm not being productive in this task right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not productive. This isn't working, but that doesn't mean that I'm not. Hey, my name is Lisa, and I'm a small-town mama with the audacity to believe that slowing down is the new keeping up, and joy is what makes a life successful. On the clock, I'm helping creative entrepreneurs to define their goals, gain social communication skills, take intentional action towards their dreams, and learn strategies for mindful marketing and sustainable success in their lives. Off the clock, I'm raising three beautiful and spirited children with my husband to know that they are safe to dream, question everything, be exactly who they are, use their voices, change their minds, and be weird unapologetically because life is just too short to waste it on fearing ourselves. This podcast is about how I'm learning to be my best in both roles and leave enough room for rest, recovery, and inventive imagination in my life as an example to myself, my kids, and anyone else that needs to know that it is possible. If you're interested in conversations about business, parenting, marketing, relationships, emotional health, or strategies to promote deeper presence in our lives, I think you might like it here. We can trade burnout for boundaries. We can trade perfectionism for patience. We can trade hustle for happy. This is The Joyful Enough with me, Lisa Holloway. If you are a planner, perfectionist, overthinker, neurodivergent, empath parent, or someone on the edge of burnout, this episode is for you. It might be presumptuous of me to say, but I truly believe there is going to be information here that can make a massive impact on your life. And I want to ask you for a favor before we get started. Save this one. Listen to it twice. The first time to hear it. The second time to take notes, ask yourself better questions, and apply these tips to your specific life. Let's get started. I am not who I used to be, and I want to tell you exactly how I know that. Your girl here, she is a planner. I love to plan, and if anyone ever tries to convince you that Lisa Holloway is a spontaneous person, you have my permission to not believe them. It's simply not true, and I don't see that changing for me ever. Planning is a foundational part of who I am, and I have no shame around that. My planning obsession has created systems and strategies over the years that have helped many other small businesses to reach their goals and joyful enough, so you won't catch me being sorry for that. I really love when a plan comes together. I mean, who doesn't? When a plan falls apart, though, and naturally they sometimes just will, I have never handled that well, and my family and friends would testify to that. There have been next to no parts of launching this new chapter of my life that have gone according to the plan. And for the first time in my entire existence, I'm finding peace in that fact. Not peace all of the time. There have undeniably been tears, tension headaches, meltdowns, colorful language, and doubt-filled moments too. I'm still in the trenches of changing habits that have always led me to burnout and upset. It's a process and one that I will be in for a very long time, I am sure. But for the first time ever, mixed in with the upsets has been peace for me in the cracks of the plan falling apart, and I'm finally noticing them. I'm absolutely sure those moments have been there all along, but for so many years, I couldn't really see them through the panic lens that I was choosing to view my life through. Yeah. Choosing. That's still not comfy for me to admit, but it's the truth, and I see it now. I was always moving too fast to allow myself to enjoy the peace that comes in the slow moments, if that makes sense. Always far too concerned with what was coming next to see what was right in front of me. And I know that's not an uncommon thing. 
That's a big part of where the idea of a joyful enough came from. I was sick of working ourselves into a stupor only to never make it closer to the end result that I believed I needed in order to relax and finally enjoy what we already had. I couldn't enjoy being outside with my kids without mentally taking note of all the things in the backyard that needed to be done. I couldn't sit down without looping my to-do list through my mind until I couldn't take it anymore and would abandon the rest that I originally sat down to take. I couldn't allow my husband, who is naturally a more affectionate person than I am, to hold me as he always has without assuming that he was as appalled by my body as I was. All of this, I was sure, was my fault. I had plans to correct every problem in my life. I had intentions to finish the projects around the house, to set better boundaries in my work so that it would stop leaking into my life, and I had intentions to get my body back so I would be worthy of the love Marcus was trying to give me. I had meticulous plans that would surely supply me with the life I needed to be happy. So why couldn't I just do what needed to be done to get there? I knew what steps to take. Why was I not taking them? Am I really so messed up that I just choose to just be this unhappy? I know what I need to do. Why can't I just do it? It never occurred to me that the problem could be anything but me. Never. If you've ever worked with me or been around me for longer than a few minutes, you know I love a plan. There is something so comforting to me about sitting down and thoughtfully drawing out where you want to go, why you want it, and how to make it happen step by step. It doesn't matter if it's a business plan or a day trip to the zoo. Like, I want a plan in place. Looking to grow an audience? I've got a proven plan for that. Maybe you want to spend more time with your family. I've got a plan for that too. I have found very few things in life that I couldn't build a plan or process for improvement around. The problem was never a lack of planning. It was a lack of flexibility. It was a lack of boundaries and a disconnect between my values and my expectations. Let me say that again. The problem was a disconnect between my values and my expectations. And I really don't think this is an uncommon issue. In fact, I know it's not. If you are body positive for everyone but yourself, your body image values don't match your self-expectations. If you are constantly giving advice to others that you can't seem to take yourself even when you know you are right in that advice— Your values are being overruled by your own expectations, or maybe the expectations that you allow to be assumed upon you. If you have ever put in a full day's work and somehow still believe you made no progress at the end of the day, we've got another disconnect, my friend. Our values say no one can be it all or do it all, and that's okay. But our expectations believe we should be the exception to that rule. Our values say every body is beautiful and should be celebrated. But our expectations tell us that our body is the exception to that unconditional love. The problem is a disconnect between our values and our expectations. And if we can heal that wound, we set ourselves free. I am not who I used to be, and this is why. For the first time, I am giving myself permission to live my life and love my work at my own pace. For me, that looks like working for a few targeted hours a day and leaning unapologetically into who I am and who I want to be as a mother, wife, daughter, sister, friend, and human being with many interests, goals, and needs. And I'm finally not trying to do it all or be it all at the same freaking time. I disconnected myself from the expectations that were holding me back from my true potential. 
I started making plans that point towards my values, not my expectations. And my self-inflicted failure wound began to heal. Let me explain what that looks like. Imagine that you come up with a list of tasks that you need to complete. This list is, for the sake of simple math, 20 items deep. You expect that you can complete five tasks a day and therefore can complete this entire list in just four days. That feels practical and you are excited to have this entire to-do list accomplished by the end of the week. Day one doesn't go as planned. The phone call that you expected would take maybe five minutes, took over two hours, and the items you needed to pick up today aren't ready. That's fine. You can make up a little ground tomorrow. Day two, your kid gets sick and you only end up being able to accomplish two out of the eight tasks you needed to accomplish today. You already know this plan is looking a little doomed, so you decide to make a few adjustments and now you expect to be able to finish all of the remaining items on the list over the next week instead of the next three days. This seems fine. Only over the next few days, a slew of unforeseen circumstances come up and before you know it, it's been three weeks and you haven't managed to mark a single item off of that list. You decide that this just must be proof that you are not actually capable of achieving this goal in front of you. So you throw the entire list out and spend the next several months berating yourself about it. You had a solid plan. You knew exactly what to do, and you should have been able to do it. Sure, things came up, but that's no excuse. This failure is your fault. Boof. (laughs) Sound familiar? That's what creating a plan based on your expectations looks like. And honestly, it's toxic, my dudes. What if instead we created plans based on our values? What would that look like? Maybe your values right now are prioritizing time to be present with your family every evening, working at a pace that doesn't send you into overdrive or burnout, and providing excellent service to your clients. When I make the list of items that I plan on needing to do in order to reach a certain goal, I take a good look at how I can fit those items into my days without sacrificing my values to accomplish them. And that's the part I do first. That's not to say that expectations don't play into this way of planning. I still might expect that I can complete this list by the end of the week, but because I am leading this plan with my values first, I am much more forgiving of adjustments needing to be made in the timeline. I can celebrate the boundaries I uphold around my values and adjust the plan without shaming myself for needing to. It's a small difference, but it is a mighty one. One of the values that I am most proud of myself for upholding right now is respecting my limits. I am finally recognizing when I need a break from a project or a perspective in front of me and taking it. I am meeting my own overstimulation with patience, and that's something I can honestly say is new to me. It might sound too simple to really matter that much, but I'm willing to bet that there are a lot of people listening to this right now that aren't giving themselves permission to do even something as simple as this yet. Like I said, there have been literally next to no parts of launching this podcast that have gone according to the plan. And listen, it's a little braggy to say, but I have a solid plan in place that I'm really proud of and wholeheartedly believe in. What I no longer believe is that I have to stick to my first draft timeline to make it happen. I no longer believe that if I have to slow down because of my life outside of this project, that this plan isn't worth trying anymore or this podcast isn't possible for me in the way I imagine it. I no longer believe that my reality is limited to a single plan's outcome. I am not that person today because my values are no longer being overruled by my expectations. 
The difference between this plan falling apart and any other plan falling apart before it is me. I am allowing the plan to come apart as it needs to, and I am not allowing it to take me with it. My body has needed time off over the last couple of weeks that I didn't plan for. Past versions of me would have stayed up all night and worked through cloudy, painful headspaces because the plan required it. Doing so would have most certainly led to a self-destruction that I have become quite familiar with within myself. Not this version of me. Not anymore. I am not going to sit here and tell you how to change your life and not do it for myself too. That is not what the joyful enough is about. When I needed grace, I gave it to myself. And I need you to hear this. It changed my life in ways I never could have planned for. When distractions came and I found that I couldn't focus on the work in front of me, I chose to notice where my attention was being pulled to and ask myself why I was being pulled to pay attention to that instead of what I believed I should have been doing at that particular moment in the first place. Why am I being pulled there? You know what I realized is that I had been doing something that I didn't realize I had been doing for a very long time. I had habits of ignoring hunger in my body because taking a break to go eat would cut into my productivity. After all, my days were so heavily planned that taking a break to go get a drink or something to eat outside of the few minutes that I had allowed for that in my day would completely throw off my schedule and I would never recover. At least that's what I told myself. I truly believed that it made more sense for me to ignore the fact that my body was asking me to get water or nourish myself or take a break and just keep working because once I get up, it'd be harder to come back to work. Would I ever, would I ever suggest that protocol to someone else? Would I ever let those words leave my mouth as advice to someone else? Absolutely Never. But my expectations were outweighing my values on this one, and I didn't even realize it yet. Beyond that, I really should have known from years of working with other people and from my own experiences that this mentality wasn't and wouldn't work. The thing is, my physical body doesn't suffer the same social conditioning as my mind does. Her only concern is making sure that I have the things I need to be healthy and safe. So instead of taking the hint that I want to ignore these cues that she's sending my way, she starts sending them in rapid fire because my body requires something that I am not currently providing it. The more I try to ignore the fact that I need a water break, the drier my mouth is going to get. The more I try to ignore the fact that I'm hungry, the more uncomfortable and agitated I'm going to get. My body is screaming at me to take a break, and it's going to keep doing so until it can't anymore. Why would I think I could ignore that? Why would I think that ignoring it was a good choice for me? Why would I think that by doing so, I was giving myself what I needed to produce the work that I'm expecting from myself in the first place? It's crazy, but we're almost all guilty of this thinking pattern, and we carry it with us through so many phases and stages of our lives. The changes didn't stop there, though. If I noticed that I hadn't been making any progress, let's say, writing, I would tune in to my inner dialogue for clues as to why instead of immediately assuming I was just failing at the task in front of me. I gave myself permission to explore where my attention naturally wanted to go without berating myself for allowing it to wander in the first place. I stopped believing that I was capable of a level of focus that no other human on this planet is capable of. And what's insane to me is the more people that I talk to, I realize we all think this. 
We expect to be the exception to a rule that human nature overrides because somewhere along the line, we forgot that we are humans and in fact, not the efficiency robots that we expect ourselves to be. Where is my focus pulling me? If I can't stop noticing that my head hurts, maybe I need to take a break from the screen and go get some water before pressing on. Maybe I find myself being drawn to something off-task at the moment, so I'll ask myself why before following it instead of immediately attacking myself for noticing a pull in the first place. For instance, maybe I'm working on writing emails and I'm just stuck. I notice that my mind keeps drifting over to the website issue that had me stuck yesterday. If I follow that pull, where will that lead me? Can I task switch to that and accomplish something that brings me closer to my overall goal? If I complete that task instead, is that adding to my joyful enough or is this simply a distraction from what is difficult for me right now? In that particular case, I would probably decide to task switch to the website issue because my head is more clear on that today and I have an idea of what I might have been doing wrong before. If I'm right and successfully solve that issue, that helps my overall goal and pushes me forward to the end result that I'm working on. By doing that, I feel like I accomplished something else and that may be the push I need to finish these emails. If not, I can guarantee I learned something or at least got closer and I wasn't getting anywhere with the email at the moment anyways. Asking ourselves better questions before we task switch is critical, and I don't want anyone to miss this step. If we are task switching to avoid things that challenge us, there's nearly no room for progress there. If I'm working hard to avoid a problem because it is challenging to me, there are more questions that I need to ask myself before continuing. Maybe it's not that important to me to send those emails, but somewhere along the line, someone told me that I had to in order to reach my goal. Is that true for me? Do I believe that? Do I need this step or am I doing it because someone else believes I need to? Are these emails a part of my values or my expectations? Be honest with yourself and the reasons you are stuck. Maybe you're stuck because you haven't been taking good physical care of yourself. Stop and fix that because pressing on is only going to make it worse on all sides. Maybe you're stuck because you fear what accomplishing this goal will set off in your life. You can want something and still be far too afraid of it to go for it. It happens every day. It's okay. This is very common. Unfamiliarity is scary. That's why we stay in toxic environments and mindsets even after recognizing that they are in fact toxic. Because at least they are familiar to us. Who knows what could happen beyond the scope of what we already know to be true. Give yourself permission to question that and be okay with adjusting the plan according to your findings. Am I being drawn away from the task at hand because it challenges my growth or because it threatens my comfort zone? It's a distinct difference. It doesn't matter if you're trying to build a better business or a better life outside of your work. Both areas can benefit from us being more mindful of the steps that we're taking and why we are doing so. A big Part of my joyful enough is being able to recognize when something isn't working for me and detaching that from my own value. I'm not being productive in this task right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not productive. This isn't working, but that doesn't mean that I'm not. Our personal value is not found in our output. Progress is never made without setbacks and learning curves in the mix, and we can find comfort in accepting that as part of the plan. Adjustments will need to be made. That's life. I am not the exception to that rule, and I don't 
have to believe that I should be. The same is true for you, and I'm going to prove it to you right now. In episode three, I introduced you to a concept that I call the big three, intuition, integrity, and intentionality. Today, we're meeting another concept that we're going to spend a lot of time here getting very familiar with. This one is called, can you guess? The big five. And this is where the progress magic happens, my friends. So what is the big five? I believe that there are five energy zones. And if we can recognize which one we are in, there is nothing that can hold us back from making progress in that zone and in turn our lives. Respecting where your energy is in any given moment releases you from the expectations trap and opens up your progress possibilities. We can move forward by knowing where we are first. Let's break that down. The big five energy zones are giving, creating, producing, learning, and resting. I'll break down each one and what those each look like, but here's what you need to know about the zones first. Your energy is inside one of these zones at all times. Much like multitasking not being a real thing, multi-zoning is not a thing either. We can task switch at a rapid pace, which is what we think we're doing when we say we're multitasking. And the same goes for the big five zoning. You can switch back and forth quickly, and you can force your way into a zone of your choosing, but the people I see doing this are usually not doing so in a healthy way. That's not the goal here. Your job is to recognize and respect where you are right now and use it to your advantage. If you find yourself stuck, I can almost guarantee you are trying to force yourself into an energy zone that you are just not in at the moment. This can look like sitting in front of a screen or a task that needs to be handled for hours drowning ourselves in caffeine, trying to make something happen, and somehow we just keep coming up blank. We can't find the words, we can't find the energy to carry on, but we can't stop trying either because our expectations dictate that we get this done now. We watch the time tick away from us, and with every minute passed, we convince ourselves further that we are so bad at our job or our life that we can't even do this one thing in front of us, this thing that we should be able to do so easily. We had a plan, remember? We had intentions of getting it done. Why can't we just do it then? It might feel like we just have nothing left to give this task right now, but we are determined to force something out regardless. Quality of work and our own personal values are often the first to be sacrificed to just get it done. And even if we do meet the deadline, we don't feel good about the job we've done in the end. I can't think of a faster path to burnout than that one right there. We spend hours fighting ourselves and make no progress. And this becomes a pattern that repeats itself day in and day out, project in and project out. That pattern is the foundation on which we build the belief that we are incapable of changing our lives. And at some point, we stop trying. This isn't working, but that doesn't mean that I'm not. One more time. This isn't working, but that doesn't mean that I'm not. What if you had recognized that you needed a break instead and took it? What if you got the rest you needed so that when it is time to work, you actually have the energy you need to do so? What if you filled your joyful enough basket first and allowed your values to outweigh your expectations. Radical stuff, I know. I am not who I used to be because I no longer berate myself for where my natural energy flows. I follow it 
and I give it space to work. Now, at first, this feels like the same thing as saying, just do what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it. But because we have already committed to working inside of our joyful enough and our big three, we can trust ourselves to do this part too, one forgiving step at a time. So now let's figure out how to recognize what the big five energy zones are and how we can use them to our benefit. Giving. I want to talk about this one first because I think this is the one that has the most room for misinterpretation. The giving zone can look like sharing advice or inspiration, helping out or giving attention to your kids, family, friends, coworkers, or someone else in need. Sharing your wisdom, experience, resources, patience, or understanding can be giving. Having a willingness to listen to another person and show them your love and support, that's giving too. Giving takes from our own reserves, and that is why it is an energy zone. It's a great feeling to give where we can. And I'm not saying we don't get anything back from it, but the part that we don't talk about enough is the fact that you can give too much, and it is our responsibility to check in with ourselves and make sure that we aren't doing that. They tell you to put your mask on first for a reason, my dudes. Giving without self-awareness or protective boundaries comes at a price, and it's not one that most of us can afford to pay. Speaking of which, with every energy zone, I also want to offer correlating boundaries. After all, this concept isn't just about recognizing our energy, but protecting it too. If we give so much of our own energy, resources, or time away that we don't have what we need for ourselves because of it, we've got a big problem. Giving responsibly is critical for self-preservation, and it's not selfish to do this. Listen, the fact of the matter is, is that if you give everything away and you've got nothing left for yourself, you can't give to anyone else either. So it's not selfish to save some for you. But that's not the only boundary to keep in mind around this energy zone. Giving is about giving, not getting. If we're giving with the expectation that we will get something in return, that's not giving. That's an attempt at producing, and we aren't talking about that zone yet. When I catch myself worrying about whether or not a certain transaction of attention is going to benefit me in the end, I'm no longer giving. I'm trying to produce something of value for me and justifying the means at which I'm going about it by calling it giving. In some cases, we would call that manipulation, and I can promise you that we have all been guilty of this, so I mean no judgment in pointing it out. This is where giving gets really sticky. I will admit that I have convinced myself I was giving when really I was working in order to produce a desired outcome, probably many more times in my life than I even realize, and none of them are comfortable to admit to, even now, but I think it's important that we do anyways. Once upon a time, in a mindset far, far away from here, I used to have some pretty cringy ideas about how to grow a successful business. Granted, these ideas, at least most of them, were not my own originally. They were drilled in my head from outside sources and are still wildly popular today, unfortunately, but I definitely took part in some bro tactics for the first few years of my entrepreneurial journey. I'm not proud of that, but I did learn a lot of valuable lessons through those mistakes, so I don't exactly regret them either. I used to tell myself I was giving by showing certain people my attention, love, and support. And really, I was preparing them to be less likely to say no to my impending offer. Yikes, I know. I am a loving person, and it is not at all out of character for me to be giving, encouraging, or helpful. 
That's how I was able to easily convince myself that the strategies I was using weren't hurtful. But the truth was that I had ulterior motives for most of the giving I was doing, and I was lying to myself about it. Bless my heart. I started using language that wasn't my own. I joined groups that I had no interest in and followed strategies that filled me with anxiety and all the yucky feelings. And I justified all the cringe I felt around those ideals by convincing myself that I was giving to these people. Oh, and not just any people. I was seeking out the ones I thought I could convince to love whatever it was that I was selling at the time because that's what I was being taught to do. And if the leaders I was listening to said it would work, I did it because I was honestly desperate and I wanted what it looked like they had. What I didn't want to admit to myself was that I wasn't giving and I knew it deep down. I was working on producing an outcome that I didn't know yet at the time. I was never going to reach like that, at least not in a sustainable way. But we'll talk a lot more about that in future episodes. False giving narratives aren't limited to business, though, not by a long shot. If I give someone my time, energy, or money with the expectation that they will owe me down the road, that's not giving. If we give advice or help to someone and expect to be able to use that as leverage down the road to get a favor from them, that's not giving. Giving, unfortunately, can be weaponized, and I really think more of us do this than we even realize. Again, I bring it up not to judge, but to just simply step into the discussions that I think we need to be having If this doesn't apply to you, I'll be the first one to say I'm so proud of you for breaking that cycle. For me, recognizing how I was weaponizing my giving nature was one of the most painful wounds to clear. But the pit of my stomach still falls out when I think about how much my refusal to face these sneaky excuses in my life were damaging my relationships and honestly, my credibility among peers. I know that without admitting to what my role was in these habits, I wouldn't have been able to change them. It was and still is uncomfortable for me to talk about, but necessary nonetheless. For instance, I had to finally admit to myself that giving special attention to Marcus before I informed him of the project that I knew he wouldn't have agreed to on his own, but I had already effectively signed him up for, yeah, that wasn't giving. Or nice. And it happened a lot. It made me feel better about crossing a line that I knew I shouldn't have because I could justify it with the nice or thoughtful giving I was doing to make up for it. That kind of giving is poison, and getting stuck in those habits will drain your energy faster than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking competition, and you can take that to the bank, my friends. I knew better then, but I do better now because I can finally face where my responsibility lands in the pretty little lie I was telling myself about the giving I was doing in situations where false giving was being deployed instead. Am I giving to give, or am I setting up an opportunity that could benefit me later? Is that my true intention, or do I need to reset myself? There is so, so much good to be had in this zone, but we have to approach it mindfully. To give an example, I am in a giving zone when I drop what I'm doing to give my attention to my kids when they need it. And truth be told, that's my secret sauce recipe for how I am able to approach my children in a calm and gentle way, even in the face of stress or bad timing. I remind myself that I am choosing to switch into my giving zone, and here I have all of the patience, wisdom, and love I need to be able to share it with whoever I'm aiming it at at that given moment. I give my love to others by imagining that I can literally radiate emotions onto them because I truly believe that we as humans do this. When I want to give love I focus on 
filling myself with love and allowing that energy to radiate around me and to the person that needs it. The same goes for calming energy or kind words or wisdom, whatever it is that I want to give to another person. It's an energy that flows from me, and it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm giving it in a healthy way. I highly suggest visualizing this energy like an actual superpower because it is. And I don't care where you are or what you come from, you have something to give. Okay, the creating zone is next. And this is where I find the perfectionists among us get stuck, myself included. Being in this energy zone can look like brainstorming, planning, designing, writing, or editing content ideas or events, but it can also look like overthinking, obsessing over the details, or second-guessing ourselves into regression. This zone certainly has some physical aspects to it, but creating doesn't depend on action like most of the other zones do. We can physically create art or plans, systems, designs, or content, but I find that we tend to exercise this particular energy in our minds more than we do through physical actions. This is why so many of us get stuck here, because we can create endlessly in our heads, and that can trap us if we aren't careful. If you've ever sat in front of a blank Word document or a graphic design or whatever it is that you're trying to create for a long period of time and made no physical progress, but still felt exhausted at the end of the year day, you know what I'm talking about. The physical exertion may be small. It might not look like someone who is in this zone is doing much, but creating deeply draws off of our energy, and that is why it is one of the big five. For some of us, this zone is organized and clear-cut. For others, it might resemble something closer to controlled chaos or even just outright chaos. And any of that is okay. If it works for you, it works. But the opposite is also true, so it's important to check in with ourselves often to see if the systems and routines we are creating are functioning for us or creating further overwhelm. My advice, if you find yourself stuck in the creating zone, walk away for a while and come back when you feel inspired to create again, if at all possible. I rarely find that task switching from one creative process or project to another is helpful. If I am too burnt out to create in one area of my life, the same is probably true in other areas, and that's an issue I need to address before continuing on. Forcing our way through a creative block tends to just grow frustration, not inspiration. If I can't seem to find the words I need to write a post, for instance, I probably am going to struggle to design that graphic I've been putting off too. If I'm struggling to create, it's probably because there are basic needs that I am not meeting and task switching to something else that needs my creative brain isn't going to fix that problem. Don't force it. Follow it. When you feel inspired to create, do it. When you're stuck, take a break and give yourself grace in those moments. Remember that just because creating doesn't look like it is physically demanding doesn't mean that it's not taxing on our energy and spirit. Creating is a beautiful and necessary part of the process, but we can't allow ourselves to hide in this stage for fear of putting what we create out into the world. The magic is found in trusting your intuition and unapologetically creating from that space. Remember that you have the power to edit as needed. There is no reason to fear trial and error here. You can change your mind down the road. That's one of the most wonderful things about creating. Nothing is set so far in stone that we can't make adjustments or completely change directions as we see fit later. Creating under pressure usually doesn't give us the results we're looking for, and that can cause us to feel like we have to go back to the drawing board or quit altogether when maybe all we needed was a break or change of perspective. 
We can create new narratives, routines, plans, and systems, but give yourself patience in the process of testing out what you haven't already tried before. Which leads us to the next zone, producing. This zone is strictly dependent on action. And this is the part that physically moves us closer or further away from our goals. Producing can look like performing daily tasks, batch working or scheduling posts out, relationship building, deal making, collaborating, or social selling. When you act intentionally towards a goal, that's producing. When you choose to not act towards a goal, that's also producing, just probably the opposite from the desired outcome. Actions that produce an outcome, expected or otherwise, require this zone of energy. We tend to think of this zone as being the big ticket items, but even small actions produce outcomes, and I think it's important to respect those actions too. Remember that planning, designing, writing, editing, all of those actions are creating. When you follow through with the plan, that's producing. When you send that email you've been writing or finally post what you've been working on for others to see, that's producing. Producing is putting physical action to your ideas, plans, or strategies. Having a social media plan doesn't produce you results. Doing does. Brainstorming a new bedtime routine for your family doesn't produce results. Doing does. And in that case, probably a lot of repetitive doing. Talking about how you can improve your relationship with your partner doesn't produce new outcomes. But physically doing the things you discussed can. You can't make more time for each other by talking about it. You've got to physically make the time. No shade towards the creating zone. We love to create plans and thoughtfully build strategies and content that prepares us for what's ahead, but change doesn't actually happen there. That's the prep stage. Producing is where it all comes together. We protect our producing energy by acting as intentionally as we can. Whenever possible, cut distractions out and make your production time count. I am not who I used to be because I finally realized that I can't produce every waking moment of my life and I'm no longer trying to. Believe me, you will be amazed how much you can accomplish in a couple of focused hours a day versus half-in, half-out attempts stretched over 12 hours or more. Target the tasks you want to accomplish and produce an outcome. You have that power. The next zone in the big five is learning, and I don't think this one gets the credit that it should. Learning can look like listening to podcasts or reading books or articles, practicing skills, shadowing a peer, market research, or good old trial and error. This is the zone where we fine-tune our skills, ask ourselves questions that help us to find our joyful enough, or research ways to make our plans and actions more effective in our businesses, relationships, and lives. Learning is something that I think we should all be committed to continuing for the rest of our lives, but don't allow this zone to trap you in what you already know and are comfortable with. I want to encourage you to learn about things that challenge your own views. If we aim to only learn what supports our current ideals, we miss out on grand opportunities for deeper growth and understanding about our world and all of the people in it. Have conversations with people that believe, think, and see the world differently than you do. Learning how or why another person believes or does something differently than we do doesn't automatically mean you have to adapt those ideals and practices. But you just might find answers that you wouldn't have otherwise. This feels like a good place to circle back to something I said back in episode one, I think, of this podcast. A respectful conversation can change minds. 
a raw conversation can change hearts. A hateful conversation can change nothing. We live in a time that education is literally at our fingertips anytime we want it. You can learn just about any skill, strategy, or concept that you may be interested in, and in most cases, for free. We can listen to podcasts, read books or blog posts, watch videos, or join in-person or online communities for just about any interest out there. Just remember that not all sources are created equally. For every piece of good advice out there, I am sure there are many more pieces of bad. It's up to us to decipher the difference for ourselves. Learning is not one size fits all and answers aren't either. What is right for you may be completely wrong for someone else and that's okay. We can respect each other's differences without abandoning our own. Trust your big three, specifically your intuition, to guide you to the sources that you can trust. If you need a refresher on that concept, circle back to episode three here on the Joyful Enough podcast. Learning is an energy zone and mental burnout is absolutely something we need to protect ourselves from. When you're not retaining, put it down for a while and come back when you can. If you're confused, ask for or seek out clarification before pressing on. Consider how you can apply what you are learning to fit into your big three and your joyful enough. Never stop learning. Just don't use learning as a shield against action. Our final energy zone is not one to sleep on. Well, actually, <laughs> sleeping is the most recognizable part of this zone, so maybe that's not exactly true. Rounding out the big five is resting and this zone includes a lot more than sleeping. Resting is about time off the clock, whether that is physical, mental, emotional, or social. Sleeping is obviously a part of that, but so is meditating or pampering yourself or self-care in general. Playing games or reading, listening, or watching recreationally, not for learning, creating, or producing, but recreationally. All of that is resting. Any time that you are using to unplug yourself from the hustle that our lives try to convince us that we must take part in, that can be resting if we allow it to be. Effective rest is healing, but we have to let rest be the star of the moment and not try to force some kind of outcome from it. Sitting down to take a break and picking up your phone to check off a few small tasks while you do it is not resting. That's more likely producing or creating. And even though you might be trying to convince yourself that you're resting, when you move from that spot, you aren't going to feel any better because you didn't actually rest. And I feel pretty confident in assuming that the work you just did was probably not your best either. Resting is the only zone that gives back to us more than it takes from us to use it. But it is also the energy zone that is the most abused, especially by entrepreneurs and busy parents. This is the first zone to be cut out when we neglect our own limits and overload our lives. When there isn't enough time in a day, rest is the first thing we sacrifice. And the problem with that is that this zone deeply affects how well we can perform in every other energy zone of our life. Every single one of them are directly affected by this one. The resting zone is a built-in boundary between us and burnout. And when it isn't protected, burnout gets in, period. When you get stuck in one of the other zones, I can almost guarantee it's because you have neglected your resting zone's needs and are allowing burnout to sneak in the cracks where rest should have been. Somewhere along the line, we got the idea that a lack of resting was somehow a badge of honor and we bury ourselves to wear it. I have been guilty of this for most of my adult life and 
probably some of my childhood too. But this is hands down the biggest indicator that I have now changed my life because I am not seeking to wear that false badge of honor. They can keep their burnout, honey, because I've got boundaries and I don't want it back. I am not who I used to be because I refuse to sacrifice my peace for priorities that don't match my own values. I've pulled off of the hustle highway and your girl is not going back. They can't make me because I have finally unlocked the power of rest and burnout can't reach me here. Talk about some revenge, right? Nearly nothing about launching this podcast has gone according to my very well laid out plan. And I'm not panicked about that because I can recognize now that this has happened for my benefit. I needed to be shown that a timeline doesn't dictate my effectiveness, possibilities, or my joy. No matter how good the plan is, I don't need any of that to have enough in my life. My body needed me to have time off that I didn't plan for. But in that time, I've had rest and recovery that I wouldn't have taken otherwise. Pulling back has allowed me to make adjustments to even more habits of my own that I needed to face, and this podcast will benefit from that too. I'm finding peace in the cracks of the plan falling apart because I trust myself to be able to recover in my own time, and that's what I want to teach you to do too. We can't control time, but we do have it. We don't have to believe the hustle culture lies anymore. We don't have to drag baskets that carry versions of enough that aren't our own. We do not have to pass those ideals down to our kids. The first thing they tell us to do when our machines start malfunctioning is to shut them down and restart them. If it's overheating, common sense says to cool it down. Why is it that we think we can perform better and with less breaks and upkeep than our machines do? It's ludicrous, and I refuse to believe that way anymore. Leaving a million tabs open and letting your computer go into hibernation mode is not the same as closing things out and allowing it to shut down completely for a while. And we are convincing ourselves of the same lie in our own lives. Rest effectively and watch what happens to your life. Rest in joy. Enjoy. Not out of obligation or distress. Show your body gratitude for the work it does for you by taking better care of it. And you'll be prepared for all of the more that is coming soon. Respect the rest, my dudes. At any given moment, you are in one of the big five energy zones. And you can use that knowledge to your benefit in so many ways. Get in the habit of asking yourself, am I giving, creating, producing, learning, or resting right now? Allow yourself to be fully in that zone and make the most of the energy you have around it in that moment. You are capable of giving, creating, producing, learning, and resting your way to the life of your dreams. Take it one step, one day, one zone at a time. I started this episode by asking you for a favor, and I'm going to ask it again. Listen to this one twice. Now that you've heard it, I want you to make time to go back and take notes. Ask yourself better questions and apply these tips to your specific life. Ask yourself how these zones fit into your life and how you're using the energy that is inside of these zones. Are you doing it effectively? Do you need to make adjustments? If you want to discuss the Big Five further, reach out to me on Instagram. 
the handle is the joyful enough, or you can email me at lisa at the joyful enough.com. I'm going to leave you with the mantra that I have been using to bring me back to my own energy. And I want you to use it to step unapologetically into your own power, responsibility, big three, big five, and you're joyful enough. Tall order for a small phrase, but you can do it. Trust me. I fully participate in my own life and encourage those around me to do the same. Your turn. I fully participate in my own life and encourage those around me to do the same. One more time. I fully participate in my own life and encourage those around me to do the same. I hope that this episode has added to your basket today. Just remember, you're enough. Either way. Until next time, this has been the Joyful Enough Podcast with me, Lisa Holloway. You just finished another episode of the Joyful Enough Podcast, and you know what that means now, right? Don't you? We're basically best friends, so we should probably swap emails. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter below in the show notes. There's a link for you there, or you can just reach out to me if you've got something that you want to share with me. Just email lisa at thejoyfulenough.com. Don't forget, come over and hang out with us on Instagram. And we love to see pictures and screenshots of you listening to the show. So please tag us. Until next time, sign-offs are still super weird for me. So I'll just leave you with, bye. Bye.